us into what he calls the abundant life. And for each one of us, that is a every moment invitation. Right now, whatever street level looks like for you, Jesus is inviting you, saying, will you simply respond to me? Will you take the next step? And really for us, God wants to teach us how to cultivate an awareness of his presence. That you live surrounded by oxygen is likely something you don't even think about very often. Similarly, there might be times when you are aware of God's presence, but that truth doesn't impact your daily life. Today, Pastor Daniel shares that God invites you into a more abundant life as you cultivate an awareness of His presence. Because the Holy Spirit lives in you, God is always near. When the rubber meets the road, He won't leave you alone. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in the book of 1 Chronicles, chapter 16, as he begins his message, A Culture of Worship. Do you know how there's those times in your life that when you have an experience, it becomes one of those reference points that you look back at over and over and over again. I think we all have those, right? Like where there's a moment in time that when it happens, you don't realize how profound it really is until later when you realize how much you're learning from it. That happened to me uh, a number of years ago. Before I was called into ministry, I was playing music as a career. And, uh, you know, I'm an upright bass and an electric bass player. And I was really pursuing music that people would call a jazz, kind of like a fusion of all these different styles. But jazz was one of the main styles that I was playing. And I remember at the time I was living in Southern Oregon in Ashland, uh, the only place in the world I totally looked like everybody else. <laughs> Those of you who are from, they're like, totally. You know, and, I, and me and a couple of my buddies, we were playing these regular gigs at this restaurant called Alex's, which was right on the plaza there. Every Thursday night we'd play there. And we would play these like three-hour gigs. They'd pay us 30 bucks, but they'd give us a meal. So when you're a professional musician, you'll take food or money. Either one, it's the same thing. You know, you don't have a lot of it. So at least we knew we'd eat a good meal on Thursday nights. And, and, and every Thursday we'd play, we'd play jazz for three hours. But this one Thursday night, we were just finishing up the third set, right? And so we just played three hours of music. And all of a sudden we see these two guys walk in and they're carrying horn cases. And they're with a friend of ours, but they definitely didn't look like they were from where we lived. And so sure enough, as we finished our last song, these guys came up and they said, hey, we just flew in from New York. We're playing a gig uh, tomorrow. You know, we'd love to jam if you guys would be okay with it. Now, after you played a three-hour gig, you're like, man, this that was a long work day. You know, I'm playing the upright for three hours. My fingers are hurting, you know. But these guys, they have horns. Like, yeah, let's play. Now, what we didn't realize initially was that these two players, they were in town because they were playing uh, with the most famous jazz big band uh, of this generation, a uh, Wynton Marsalis' big band, uh, a trumpeter named Marcus Printup, and a saxophone player named Wessel Anderson, whose nickname is Warm Daddy, because he's got such a warm saxophone tone. Now, these are guys who I grew up listening to and, and super respected, and we ended up playing like, for two more hours. And they're like, man, you guys are great. And we're like, bro, you guys are like our heroes. Like, what are we doing? And they said, well, listen, come to the gig tomorrow. We'll give you backstage passes. 
And so we're like, so we went to this gig and we end up meeting all these other musicians because Witten's big band was like 20 something people. All these famous jazz musicians and they're there, we're backstage and they're like, so where are we playing tonight? And I'm like, uh, uh, I'll get back to you. And I called up my friend over at Alex's restaurant. I said, you'll never believe all these famous jazz musicians are in town. We want to play a gig. Can we bone? Like, yeah. I mean, just tell everybody you know. And we got back to Alex's after this gig. The, the whole place was packed. And there's like 10 of the people from Wynton Marsalis' big band is there. And we played for like four hours straight. And it was like, it was the coolest gig ever. I have like, all these people are there. And I remember after the gig was over, I remember, you know, when you're a musician that hasn't made it to like the stadium scene, like you have to carry your own gear, you know? So I remember like, I'm like, we're loading out all the gear and I'm sitting next to my car on my speaker and I just played this epic gig, like dream gig. And I remember thinking to myself, oh man, what happens next? Because every other gig after that gig is a downer. And I remember just sitting there and I'm tired and I'm a little bit like, wow, that was amazing. And at that moment, I began to learn something that I am constantly relearning. And it's this, and it's something that all of us are learning, whether or not we're conscious of it at this moment. And for me, I just learned this again on my recent break. The big lesson that I learned is that the only thing that's ever going to satisfy a person is intimacy with Jesus. That's the only thing that's ever going to satisfy you. All the other things are wonderful. I mean, like when you, you hit that pinnacle moment of, of a career arc, me getting to play with people who I love and, and respect, and I can't believe I get to play this gig, or, or you find that spouse that you've been longing for, or you, you have those kids that it's just been hard to be able to have a baby, and, and you finally get there. In the end of the day, all those things have the potential to be wonderful, but none of them truly satisfy. And what happens is, is when we learn that, what we begin is we begin a journey of beginning to realize what's the most important things in life. And I think for each one of us, that moment was so important for me because I realized I just reached the pinnacle of what I had been hoping for. But once it was over, it was like, well, what happens next? It didn't truly satisfy. It was a momentary pleasure. But then the next thing has to happen. And for each one of us, where rubber meets the road in your life, Jesus is inviting you to have a relationship that will be the thing that, that only truly satisfies you. And in a lot of ways, for each one of us, this reality of intimacy with Jesus is what Christianity is truly all about. That's what it's really all about. It's God inviting us into the reality that no matter where we are, no matter What's going on? Jesus is with us. There is the reality of the presence of Jesus at your street level. I mean, you think about our church here at Crossroads, such, an, such a joy to see what God is doing here. But we always say that our mission is to simply respond to Jesus, right? We talk about it all the time. But if you realize that that idea of simply responding to Jesus presupposes the fact that Jesus is there and he is present and he is inviting us into life. He is inviting us into a whole new way to be human. He is inviting us into what he calls the abundant life. And for each one of us, that is a every moment invitation. Right now, whatever street level looks like for you, 
Jesus is inviting you, saying, will you simply respond to me? Will you take the next step? And really for us, God wants to teach us how to cultivate an awareness of his presence. Because he's an ever-present help in time of need. The, the Bible teaches that God said, I'll never leave you, nor forsake you, no matter how dark a situation is, no matter how challenging the diagnosis is, no matter how dire the circumstances are, he says, I'm already there. So for us in the midst of our lives, God wants to teach us how to cultivate an awareness of the reality that he's already there. And that's why we're starting this new series that we're calling Presence. Because God's promise to us is the gift of his presence in Christ. And if you're here today and you're a born again follower of Jesus, then Jesus said, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I'm with you. But for many of us in the midst of our lives, we forget that, don't we? See, for each one of us, sometimes like when you come to church and you're with the the family of God, you're really aware of his presence, aren't you? There's just something about being in a room with your brothers and sisters. But the thing is, is you're still in his presence when you go home. You know, when you go to work, you know, that place where all that stress happens, Jesus is still there. And I think what God wants to help all of us with is to give us an enlarged sense of sacred space. Not only is the church, the gathering together of the people of God, not only is that a sacred space, but everywhere that you put your feet as a follower of Jesus becomes a sacred space because he's with you. And your presence there, because he dwells in you, now that place is becoming a sacred space because you are salt and light. And so to break open this series, I want you to open up your Bibles to 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verses 7 to 13. 1 Chronicles 16, verses 7 to 13. Now, I know some of you are saying right now, there's a book in the Bible called 1 Chronicles that totally is in there. The book of 1 Chronicles actually sits between 2 Kings and Second Chronicles. And it's in that almost the first quarter of your Bible. It's before the book of Psalms. It's, uh, so it's in the earlier part of the New Testament there. So First Chronicles chapter 16, as you find yourself there. Now, really what we're going to be doing for this entire series is taking First Chronicles 16 verses 7 to 36. We're going to take this whole time spending it in this long psalm or song. Now, this happens at a moment when King David has just brought the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. He set up the tabernacle there. And you have to remember, for the children of Israel, the, that tabernacle, that mobile worship tent, was the reality that God was with them. It was a tangible reminder of the presence of God. It was the centerpiece of their culture. And if you remember, God had them design it when they were in the wilderness after they were delivered from Egypt with Moses. And and all the different places they went, they would set up this tabernacle and they would worship God there. But now as David is now the king, he brings that Ark of the Covenant and that tabernacle into the city of Jerusalem. Remember his son Solomon ends up building the actual temple that uh, was there for all these different generations for the children of Israel. And if you recall recently, we talked about the story when the Ark of the Covenant was coming into Jerusalem, how David was dancing. 
He was worshiping. He was praising God. And you remember his, his wife, uh, Michael, she, she despised King David in, in her heart. In a lot of ways, I thought about this more recently. She just misunderstood it. She didn't understand it. And because she didn't understand it, she despised him. Right? Now, what happens here is, and what we find here is it says this in verse 7 of 1 Chronicles uh, 16. It says, on that day, David first delivered this psalm into the hand of Asaph and his brethren to thank the Lord. You know, it's amazing. David was a great king. He was a great warrior. David was also a totally killer musician. He was, he was a master of playing the lute. So he was like uh, Andre Segovia, Eric Clapton, Ingve Malmsteen, John Mary. Name your favorite guitar player. There's so many of them. David was the original one of those. He was the guy, if they had posters in their little houses, it'd be King David with his lute, just like... You know, he was, a, he was a killer songwriter. He was better than McCartney and Lennon, Rogers and Sullivan, Jay-Z. I mean, you just put your favorite songwriters in there. But what's beautiful about this is these verses are also found in Psalm 105, verses 1 to 6. Now, I think you need to, to, to know that, that, that what we're reading here in 1 Corinthians 6, 6 or 1 Chronicles 16, 7 to 13... Really, these verses are exactly the same in Psalm 105. And this section is actually, if you want to write this down for yourself, Psalm 105, Psalm 96, and Psalm 106 are all contained here. So, And the reason I thought it would be a great time to study this is I've always told you that the Holy Spirit repeats himself by putting it multiple times in the Bible. It's because he knows we're a little thick-headed. We might not have got it the first time. Right? And so he repeats himself to make sure that we get it. Now... If we're going to jump right on in, I've, I've called this message a culture of worship. Because really what we want is, if you think about what the word culture means, a culture is a way of living. It's a way that you do life. Now, what's amazing is we think about a culture as a collection of people. And when you think about the way that a collection of people lives their life, there's certain share, there's values and there's certain rules that are kept. There's language that is used. There is art and all these different things that are involved in making a culture. Now, what I would say to you is that each one of us individually has a culture. Your life is a culture. There's a way that you live your life. And then and that's also why marriage can be so challenging, right? Because you take two people with two different cultures and you say, okay, now you're going to make one culture, right? And then there's the negotiation in the midst of that, on how do you make a way of living? Of course, you know that if you are married, that in each season of your marriage, there's different variables as well. So how do you navigate those things? And then, obviously, like as a, as a church, we have a church culture. We live in a culture. That culture is constantly changing. And what I would say to you is that God wants all of our lives to be a culture of worship. Because if Jesus is always with us, if he's always present, I've always said that worship is the human response to the presence of Jesus. If, if you will become aware of the presence of Jesus, the only proper response is to declare his worth, to praise him. And I realize that we want our Crossroads family to have a culture of worship. But that happens when each one of us develops a personal culture of worship. And then we all come together... And then as we all come together, now collectively we have a culture of worship. And we're going to see very simple, beautiful things on what does it look like to cultivate a culture of worship individually or as a church family. So look what it says in verse 8. It says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds 
among the peoples. Now, I like this. Now, if I were to give you it to in a concept, it literally means this, that you and I, we need to let worship lead to mission. You need to let worship lead outward into mission. Where do I get that from? Notice first it says, give thanks to the Lord and call upon his name. Now, when we give thanks to the Lord, that literally is speaking about us having a, an attitude of gratitude, taking a moment in the midst of our lives in thanking the Lord for the things that we have. Now, you realize that one of the most basic common courtesies of life is to be a thankful person. But isn't it true that all of us struggle a little bit with gratefulness? Like, they say that our culture is an entitled culture. And really what that is, is that everyone believes that they deserve everything, right? And in a lot of ways, that infects our lives with Jesus because we just feel like we deserve everything. But when was the last time, no matter what street level looked like for you, you woke up and you said, God, thank you for another day? Because you realize that another day is promised to no person. Like, you are not entitled to another day. It's given to you as a gift. But oftentimes we take it for granted. But I know how it is. You wake up tomorrow and you're like, and if you work like the normal work week, the Monday to Friday, you're like, oh man, I gotta go to work today. But when was the last time you're like, Lord, thank you for a job. Like, thank you that I have a skill that it give me some money to do something with it. Even if it's not as much money as you think you ought to have. It's like, we have this tendency to take everything for granted. Right? So one of the ways we worship is by having a thankful heart, thanking God for the many blessings. And, and I always tell people that, that really being thankful to the Lord is not about getting what we want. Man, we aren't just thankful for the gifts God gives us. We're thankful for God's presence in our lives. I woke up this morning and the first, no, not the first thought. The first thought I had was, got to get some coffee. Second thought I have was, I can't believe that I get to be a child of God. Literally, I can't, like, how awesome that God adopted me into his family. You're like, well, I'm not sure if it's awesome, Fusco. I'm still working on you. But you know what I mean? Like, he knew everything about me, and he chose me to be part of his family. I wasn't deserving to be in his family. My actions in the totality of my life do not dictate that, of course, God would choose me to be in his family. He adopted me with all my garbage. And he did the same to you. And we should be thankful for that. For who he is, not just what he does. So what's beautiful is is we give thanks to the Lord, and then it says we call upon his name. Now, that doesn't only mean we we pray to God, but you call upon the name of the Lord. It's like my kids. When something's going on, they call upon their parents, right? Like, Like someone falls down and skins their knees. Mom, dad. They don't know how to make the breakfast. Mom, dad. Sometimes they just want to come and give you a hug. Mom, dad. We do the same thing with the Lord. We call upon his name. Why, why do kids call upon the names of their parents? Because they trust their parents. They know their parents are there for them. You realize that you can trust the Lord and he's there for you. Now I realize depending on what street level looks like for you right now, you may be struggling to trust the Lord. You don't understand what God is doing. But I'm here to tell you, even when we don't understand what God is doing, it's an opportunity to trust him because he is trustworthy even if you don't understand it. So so, so we give thanks to the Lord and we call upon his name. But then notice what it says next. And I think this is super important. It says, make known his deeds among the peoples. Now, we want to let worship giving thanks, calling on his name. We want that to lead us into mission because for 
many of us, the problem that our culture has, and I'm talking about our, our, our culture in which we, we are raised in, is that our culture says it's all about you. So worship becomes a very individualistic and personal thing, right? It's like, it's about my worship, right? And that's why people get all upset about music and lights and this and that and volume and this and that, because it's like all about you. And the thing is, is guess what? Worship isn't all about you. It's all about the Lord. And the problem is, is in an individualistic culture, all the, your preferences become God. And if you don't believe me, just go to a coffee shop and wait for someone to order a very specific drink. And if they don't get their specific drink right, watch how they respond. Because they get mad. I wanted my latte at 142.3 degrees. Because that's when the milk is perfect. Or something. Right? People get mad. Because our culture says it's all about you. Our culture says you can have it your way. But actually, when we cultivate a culture of worship, when we're giving thanks, we're calling upon his name, then it's just not only about us. Then we want to share. We desire to share who he is. We want to declare his deeds among the peoples. See, worship leads us to self-sacrificial service because we believe that as you worship God, you're going to want to serve other people. You're going to want to be involved in the declaration of who God is and what he's done. You always can tell when someone's taking the next steps with Jesus when they begin to serve. You can always tell when someone is kind of stuck spiritually because they don't want to serve. Because when you take that next step, now all of a sudden you're moving out of it's just about Jesus and me. And now it's like, because I am worshiping God, I'm learning that Jesus loves all these other people too. He loves people who are not like me. He loves people who are broken. And so I'm going to go serve them. He loves people who are younger than me. He loves people who have different views than I do. He is as for them as he is for me. And the only way people grow to learn about who the Lord is is if someone decides, I'm going to respond to the God who I trust, who I worship, and now I'm going to put feet on it. And I'm going to put my hands, and I'm going to get my hands dirty in it. You know, and as a church family, it's so beautiful because we just saw this with our Bible Day camp where we had 350 people serving 1,200 kids. Our students just got back from camp. We had all these Men and women, a lot of young men and women who are serving our high schoolers. And you always know when someone is growing in their worship because it's just not about, okay, come and I praise. It's like, no, I praise and then I let my praise lead to mission. Jesus is real. How different would your life be if you lived in the reality that God is always near? As he began this new series called Presence, Pastor Daniel shared that the reality of the truth that God is there causes you to worship him. Today, you learn that worship then cultivates the desire to reach out to others and share who God is and what he's done. As you give thanks and call on his name, you'll want the people around you to know him too. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here. Thanks so much for tuning in today. It's such an amazing honor to share God's word, and I love seeing how God is working through this ministry. Would you partner with us? I'd love for you to join us in sharing the message that Jesus is real by being a prayer partner or financial supporter. Find out more by visiting our website, 
JesusIsRealRadio.com. Hey, this is Josh, and I wanted to personally thank you for listening today to Jesus Is Real Radio. Did you know that Pastor Daniel also has a TV program? It's called Real with Daniel Fusco. I want to encourage you to go to JesusIsRealRadio.com, click on the Stations option in the main menu, and find out if Real with Daniel Fusco airs on a TV station in your area. Next time on Jesus Is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will look at the connection between worship and service. You'll learn that when you build the culture of worship in your life, a desire to serve others grows as well. You'll be challenged to take a look at your life to see if you're simply responding to God's invitation to love others as He loves you. This kind of life, one lived with God as the focus, will be rich in joy and peace. You've been listening to Jesus Is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through his series called Presence. Until then, may God bless you.